Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. One of the things that has become apparent to me as I have been pastoring for the last eight years is that there's always a battle for the pulpit. There's always a battle for which theology is going to win out in the church. There are always voices that are saying things like, we don't want doctrine. Life is too busy, too overwhelming. We just need a little comfort. We just need something to help us along. Now, what many don't realize is that to dump doctrine is to dump comfort and to dump help. It is theology, the study of God, that empowers the church to worship God rightly and to make it all the way home to glory. To dump theology, in fact, is to adopt moralizing philosophies that tell you how to be a good person instead of pointing you to Jesus Christ who died because you are not a good person. So, who is winning the battle over the pulpit? Ligonier Ministries released a state of theology survey earlier this year to help answer that question. And this survey provided 34 statements to 3,000 participants who could answer either strongly disagree or somewhat disagree or unsure or somewhat agree or strongly uh, strongly agree, sorry. Kind of a wide range of answers there. So we thought it would be helpful to look at how evangelicals responded to these questions. So if you go to thestateoftheology.com, you can find the results for yourself. So the first thing, brothers, that really caught my attention was the contrast between Statement 2 and Statement 3 of this State of Theology survey. So here's what Statement 2 said. There is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when that question was posed to evangelicals, 98% of evangelicals said that they agreed with that statement. And that was pretty encouraging, right? Right, right. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds really good. But statement three said this, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. (coughs) Now, 51% of evangelicals said that they agreed with that statement, meaning that some of the same people who said that they agree that the God of the Bible is the one true God also said that God will accept worship from those who subscribe to Judaism or Islam. So, how do we make sense of this? <laughs> well, we, we've been talking about the mushy ideas of truth in, in our society today, and the idea that truth is a truth is a kind of a personal thing. You've got your truth, and I've got my truth, and and there's no objective truth out there. Um, and I, I, the only the only explanation I can come up with, and, and that's a discouraging statistic: fifty one percent of evangelicals. Uh, that God um, accepts basically all, basically all all worship, and I, I imagine that they would they would probably throw in sincere worship. That is that as long as you're sincere, God is God is going to accept it, and, and that it makes no sense. Uh, and it's a it, it's a it, it's not a well thought through statement. I don't think 
it, to, just to give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they've really thought about it. But if you would have asked this exact question to C.S. Lewis, he would have been in the 49% that would have gotten it wrong. That's true. Which is scary. Because if you read his Chron- Chronicles of Narnia books, which are incredible um, yeah. books, you get to the last book, and it, it actually almost makes me sick to my stomach, the position that C.S. Lewis takes. And the position that C.S. Lewis takes in that kid's book is that as long as you are sincere in your worship, even if it's directed towards the wrong thing, as long as what was underneath of it was okay, then it's acceptable to God and he would he would be pleased with it. Right. And so as scary as this statistic is, Right. One of the stalwarts of the faith that we would look up to and quote and read and and encourage people to to look at would have gotten this question wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> it's a it's a good reminder that we don't Christianity does not teach the doctrine of the infallibility of C.S. Lewis, right. um, and uh, that uh, uh, that such a, a great interpreter of the faith did did get that mm-hmm. one wrong, or or at least or at least profoundly misleading. And uh, when I when I recommend the Chronicles of Narnia, I always say, except for the last battle, uh, yeah. you can leave that one on the shelf. Right. I th- I think you you look at scripture and ex- exclusivism is taught in the Bible. You know, the Acts four twelve, Peter proclaims that salvation is found in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're uh, told that you know even the Philippian jailer who asked Paul and Silas what he must do to be saved. They say, "Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved." There, it, you know, it's a hard truth, but it's an exclusive truth, and the Bible only gives us that exclusive uh, truth. And I think that part of the problem that we have is you know this mushy idea about truth. In fact, you know, you talked about the the pulpit. You know, what's going on in the pulpit? You know. We need to be serious, you know. We, we, you know, we're not up there, you know, to impress a crowd or give them some light and superficial understanding about uh, things. You know, the, when we preach, we're, we're speaking to them about God, to them about God, um, speaking to their condition, the state of the human heart, and we need to be clear about that when we're proclaiming God's word. Yeah. So if you're just tuning in right now, what we're looking at is the State of Theology survey that was taken earlier this year by Ligonier Ministries, and there was two questions that were contrasting and, and we're finding deeply alarming. The first question is this. Um, well, it's a statement that, that 98% of evangelicals believe that there is only one true God and that this God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet, so as encouraging as that is, one of the other statements is that God accepts the worship of all people, including Christianity and Judaism and Muslims, and over 50% of people agreed with that statement. So I think, I think one of the, the reasons why this, these two things exist in this survey is that people have largely bought into that idea of the, uh, the parable of the elephant. Have you guys heard of this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The parable of the elephant? So <laughs> right. maybe some of our listeners haven't heard it, but the, the version, basically, the moral of the story is that God is simply too big and too incomprehensible for any one religion to possess all the truth. And so the parable goes like this, that there was these blind men who were feeling and groping their way um, around this elephant. The first blind man put out his hand and touched the side of the elephant, and he said, how smooth. The elephant is like a wall. 
And the second blind man put out his hand and touched the trunk of the elephant, and he said, how round? The elephant is like a snake. And then on and on and on, the, each one of these blind men touched a different part of the elephant and um, said, well, the elephant is like this. And so the idea is all these different religions together get a truth about who God is, and it's only the collection of our truths together that make a picture of the real true God. So response. How does this parable break down? How about that? How about make more clear? How does this parable break down? It it breaks down in the fact that um, sorry, my fat fingers are having trouble getting to the. It book breaks of, down because there is an observer that sees all yes, truth. Yes, that's where it breaks down. You know, we we see all truth there. Uh, we're the observer that sees all truth. It breaks down there. Well, it's interesting because the 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 observer in the parable is the king. Mm-hmm. And the king is basically saying, well, you guys are only seeing a part of it. The tr- you, in fact, you guys are all wrong because that's not what an elephant is. An elephant is this. And then he gives them the, the complete picture, which is so interesting because it says that revelation is necessary. Right. The king must reveal what the truth is in order for you to have an idea of who God really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And Hebrews says that God has revealed. That's how the book starts. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, and this is the key, because he doesn't want it to be that you get the prophets wrong, that you get the fathers wrong. So he sends his son. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus Christ came in part to reveal God to humanity. There is no question about who God is because in the face of Jesus Christ, you see the glory, the the wonder, the beauty of God. As uh, Colossians says, he, Jesus Christ, is is the, in the Greek, the icon, the the image of the invisible God. Uh, I was just thinking about uh, with this statement that – God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And let's just take, let's just consider uh, Islam for a moment. Um, I'm, I'm looking at John chapter 20 and the end of, uh, well, the end of the chapter. Uh, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In other words, the definitive revealer. Of God. There's mm-hmm. only one Son. Mm-hmm. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. One of the central tenets of Islam, because a lot of people don't know that Islam arose in reaction against Christianity. Mm-hmm. It was influenced by Christianity negatively. Um, and one of the central tenets of Islam is that God has no Son. In fact, I've been told, and maybe maybe some of our listeners have been to Jerusalem and seen uh, the the, Is, uh, the Muslim shrine, holy place, up on the Temple Mount. It's called the Dome of the Rock. Mm-hmm. I, I've been there. It's a beautiful building. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when you're there, you show respect uh, because that's a, a holy place to, to Islam. You, you, as a Christian, I don't worship there, but I can show respect there. But I'm told, and, and you can see, uh, and I didn't understand it, because I don't speak or read Arabic, but there is Arabic script all around the uh, exterior of the building. And I've been told that some some of that script, on, and it's very deliberately on the part that faces toward 
the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the traditional site of the resurrection of Jesus, that written in Arabic on the Dome of the Rock, it says, God has no son. Mm-hmm. Now, we can respect Islam, and we can also respectfully say both of those things can't be true. Yeah. John says these things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Yeah. Islam says God has no son. One of those is true, and one of those is false. They yeah. can't. They cannot uh, be reconciled. Yeah, we talked about the content of truth and the concept of truth. There is something true, um, and those truth statements have to be examined uh, to know which one of those contents are true. Yeah, but how, why would God accept the worship of people that deny His Son? Right. Right. I mean. I love my children, and if somebody spoke against one of my children, I would be very upset. Mm-hmm. I mean, just translate this on degrees far above that to God and his son, his son mm-hmm. that he declared from heaven that he's well pleased with. Well, Jesus mm-hmm. just declared outrightly mm-hmm. that uh, the Father has given all judgment to the Son mm-hmm. and that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Yeah. You, right. you, you don't yeah. – part, part of the reason why there's confusion here is because there's people who say, well, look, uh, Jews and Muslims and Christians all share the same father, Abraham. Abraham was the faithful uh, – the father of the faithful. He worshipped the one and true living God, and therefore these three groups worship the one and true living God. Well, that's just false. That's, Abraham's seed was realized in Jesus Christ, period. Mm-hmm. Well, we've talked about the state of the church. I mean the, re- the church is suffering – Phil has mentioned this before because what we're giving is happy hints for healthy living. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's suffering not because there's too much preaching in it. It's suffering because there's too little preaching. We want everything except what is the primary thing. And with everything that's being added to the church is what has been pushed out is real biblical exposition and preaching of God's word. Perfect ending right there, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. 